0: got started this morning um i wanted to do a little just something special for her it would never ever make up for all she's done for me in my life not just in this church but just uh growing up miss anita uh has known me since i've been a wee little lad four years old at uh, a little church called valley baptist growing up and uh she is a champion of the faith and to say that uh We're going to have a missing part here. A key cog in this church in my life is uh, an understatement. Um, She has been a prayer support for me. And uh, I know prayer doesn't cover boundaries. But uh, continue to pray for me in Scottsdale. Pray a lot of prayers for me. And I love it. And uh, isn't it great when you have amazing prayer warriors in your life? And uh, so I wanted to have her come up here uh, before we... Uh, dismiss the kids and I just wanted to pray a blessing over her I know we're going to celebrate with her but uh, Anita this is from everyone here and we just want to say we love you and uh, so Ann why don't you come up here and uh, we'll pray over her she's recording how she can so but we just want to pray a blessing over Anita today and then we'll have a big party afterwards Lord I thank you for my wonderful sister Anita And, Lord, what a mighty woman of God she is. And, Lord, how many walls have crumbled as a result of her prayers. And, God, I think of her and I think of the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Lord, I think of her and all the work that she does behind the scenes with people and ministry as she carries her little needle and thread, fixing and changing and altering. (coughs) And God, I thank you that the futures of people and individuals have been altered. God, as a result of her spirit, her steadfast faith, and Lord, I pray, God, as she goes to Scottsdale, Lord, this isn't just being with her son; it's a mission thing. And God, I pray that uh, Seth sees her and sees who she is. God, that that will open and blossom to great and mighty things that will happen in her son's life. Lord, we thank you for that, for the call that she has. Call his mom greatest call in the world. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you are stitching things up in her life behind the scenes. And Lord, that you're hanging garments and you're doing all sorts of different things, God, that might be last-minute emergencies, Lord, and you said, I've got this. And I just declare over Anita today, he's got this. And I thank you, God, that you're marking her path and you've made a clear way for her. And we just all at turning point, bless her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, life's not fair, is it? So I told her she could stay another few weeks, it's okay. A few months, a few years. But if we could have our young people go downstairs if they haven't been dismissed already, you guys have got a great Sunday ahead of you. Amen. It's going to be a good day. It already is, isn't it? You know it's funny how when you have crazy weeks, isn't how isn't that how the Lord works? He starts to ramp things up, and uh, he he moves beautifully. Sandra, thank you. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to First Peter two verse nine, we are one of those weird churches that uses Bibles, still to this day. Uh, I wanted to uh, show you something. You might say, what on earth is that doing up there? There's a bottle of Heinz 57. Uh, I I was watching this last week, and I was sitting there in amazement. Did anyone see the special on history, the history of food? Yes. Okay, the coolest thing in the world. If you haven't seen it, go on one of your DVR things and find the history of food, and you will be in amazement as how far America has come just in food. So... There was, a, there was a part in there, and it really grabbed me. I had to grab a napkin. I didn't have a paper. I grabbed a napkin and a pen, and I am taking notes. And the funny part was this Heinz guy, brilliant guy, before, let me give you a little backdrop or a history of that. Um, when they were making food, food regulations weren't regulated through the FDA. Food was regulated by state and local governments. And so people would, that were producing food and goods for us to eat were producing food. Food that might get tainted and didn't have expiration dates. And they did all sorts of things that were wrong and below the table. And, uh, and so people were eating bad food and getting sick. It's amazing that people even lived a day in America back then. But uh, they did some crazy things. So Heinz comes up with a product of ketchup. Because the reason why you had these sauces, by the way, is because you would get tainted meat. And they would cover or mask the taintedness of the meat with a sauce because the meat tasted horrible. So that's why these sauces came out. Well, Heinz 57 came out with, or Heinz came out with a product called ketchup. Everybody, Anybody had some ketchup lately in here? But he did a brilliant thing. So they would package these products um, in colored bottles, like greens and browns, so that you couldn't see in there because the food was bad. Heinz came out with this product, and it was Clear bottles. He wanted people to see this bright red tomato ketchup that you could see and say that is a fresh product. And I said, that is brilliant. And I think uh, one of the things that God's been leading me in these past few weeks after we've gone and talking about these last days church and the seven churches was finding our true identity in Christ. And I thought of that clear bottle, the idea for us, the Bible says that we're a light, that we're a city on the hill, that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that what comes into a man and goes out, we're a beautiful blessing to people, and people are to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. The problem with the church is this, is that it's become tainted, and the power of God isn't there anymore, and now we put colored little entertainment bottles to cover up the mess that's going on inside. We can all be honest, how many got a mess going on inside in your life, right? Hey, good, we got some honest people here. We're going to get away from that, and we're going to get the goodness of God in us so that we can display the true goodness of who God is. I thought of that Heinz bottle, I'm like, this is, this is a beautiful thing. Isn't that a cool little history story, those clear bottles? Let's read real quick in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Maybe you're acquainted with this verse, and if you're not, and you need a reminder for yourself when you're dealing with guilt and shame and all sorts of things, you put this verse on your mirror and you read it out loud to yourself. Because this is God's letter to you. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. I love the very fact that it says, That once you were a people who had no identity, and now you do. And the part that we learn in our culture today is we need to understand that we need to find our identity. And schools are teaching you, you can find whatever identity you want. You can be a girl today, you can be a boy today. We have the gender dysphoria thing, so you kind of get to choose your gender. But how many of you know that God made man and woman in the image of himself? That that was not a choice. That God breathed his very DNA to you, and when you were born into this world, and maybe some of these public school teachers won't teach this, but I will today, is that when he made you, you were fearfully and you were wonderfully made, and you were not a right. Didn't get a big amen there. Amen. You were made in the image of God, man or woman. And yes, those gender pronouns still work today, don't they? You are chosen. In fact, the Bible says it like this. "eklectos," out of, and lego. To pick, to gather. The word chosen designates one picked out from among the larger group for a special service and privilege. If you are here today and you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, I don't care how many failures, mistakes... And anything that's going on in your life right now, you have been plucked out and you've been chosen to be used of God with privileges. Turn to someone real quick and said, you've been chosen. You know, the problem with our culture today and our culture wars that we have, and they are culture wars. And I tell you, if you're eating like the world, dressing like the world, talking like the world... You are choosing the wrong identity. Can I get an amen? amen? If you are trying to gauge your life by the standards of the world and the entertainment and all those things, then then we have got to start looking and saying, God, am I patterning pattering my life after you to get identified with you, or am I trying to get into the club that the world offers for me? How to be cool. Get the cool clothes, right? That's the first thing. You know, when I started golfing, I had friends that were much better golfers than me. But, you know, I learned a word, and then we all do it. In church, we deal with it. We become posers, don't we, in life? You know, a poser is someone who kind of acts like something, but they really aren't. So if I want to be a hip, cool kid, I can turn my hat to the back and get some baggy jeans and walk around. And you look the part. But you're not. You're a poser, man. You get a preppy outfit on. I can get the emo, whatever they call that. I can get the goth. I can go down to that place in the mall, and I can get four hoop earrings and do all this. And, but you're all posers. That's right. We're all just posers, right? Yeah. I want to be different. I want to be cool. So you go hang out with your little cool club. Mark Sayers writes in Vertical Cells, oh, wait, I was talking about golf. golf. Let me get back to golf. So I'm going with these golfer guys, and I'm like, well, I'm not good at golf. But I can have some cool clubs. I can have some cool shoes, and I always joke with them like, Guys, i do not a play good at golf. I just got to look good at <laughs> golf." <laughs> so we would do that. I, I, I look the part. Mark Sayer's right. He writes in the uh, book "Vertical Selves." Consider the clothes we buy. He said the other day I needed a jacket. I went to the local department store in the men's department. The clothes for the sale said a lot about our desire for authenticity. I saw distressed jeans that had been treated and washed in factories to make them look like they have a story, a past. Originally, jeans were worn as a way of identifying with the working class who wore tough materials in factories and on the farms. But now we pay top dollars for jeans with a right worn look. I also saw faded 70s style t-shirts for sale featuring logos of burger joints and universities that never existed. There were faded Ramones and Rolling Stones t-shirts, which no doubt would be bought and worn by people who are not fans of the bands. They simply want to capture a sense of vintage rock cool. Last week, I pulled up next to a customized black SUV at a red light. The car windows were tinted and covered in skate stickers and skulls and crossbones. The driver's tattooed arms leaned out the window. He looked down at me through his sunglasses, the picture of cool. However, the situation grew more comical as I looked in the back seat and saw two little girls, no more than four years old, looking at their coloring books. It was as if this young man felt that his masculinity had been compromised by his role of father to these two girls, and somehow his cool persona was supposed to act as a visual signal that he had not been domesticated. Boy, isn't it funny how stupid we look? Church, maybe it's time for us again. I've gone into this before and I've said it before and it's just carrying that theme's carrying on. These clothing and this stuff that we do, it's like a costume for us, isn't it? It's really not us. It's not the clear bottle. Because behind it is a little girl who maybe is going through problems and struggle. Maybe it's a guy who's struggling with his looks. You know, I've got to tell you, my own insecurities is this. And I'm no picture of fitness or well-being, but I was a good 226 pounds. And I lost some weight. And do you know what happened to me, the mind flip that happened in me? When I started losing my weight, do you know that I actually got more insecure? Mm -hmm. That I started paying more attention to my flaws. And yet, when I was plumper, I was the happiest man in the world. What is it? And I'm serious. So we're all in our fitness, and we're all in our nutrition, and we're all in our looks. But we're not into the clothing that God says for us to wear. And it's not very fad-worthy and fad-driven. In fact, let's see what God tells us to wear clothing-wise. Turn to somebody and say, I need to get a new set of clothes. Some of you get really excited about this. Colossians 3.12. Let's see what the church is supposed to wear. Aren't you sick of trying to fit in, Really, I want to ingrain this in my church body. As a pastor, I want us to... We're not supposed to fit in. Did you hear me? We're not supposed to fit in. That doesn't mean that you walk around and... Girls don't wear makeup and guys are supposed to look stupid. I'm not saying that you don't look nice and put a vest before That's not what I'm saying. Don't leave here with that. But if you're more concerned with your looks and your clothing, then your priorities are completely wrong. They're misplaced and you're misguided. In this very self-driven identification society as we dig into this, I'm getting ahead of myself. Colossians 3 verse 12. Let's get back to the thing here. Since God chose you to be holy, people He loves. Don't you love that word holy? We don't use that in the church anymore. No need to be holy because Jesus just loves you. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Above all, Clothe yourself with love. Boy, isn't that crazy. Which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So here's the clothing that we're supposed to live with or put on. Every day you go into the closet, you pick clothes out, you figure out if this is going to work. I hate it because every Sunday, how many are like this? You go to church on Sunday and you're like, what did I wear last week? That's my biggest thing. When I get out of the shower, and Ann knows this, I got a shirt. I'm like, Ann, I need your help picking the outfit out. I don't know what I wore last week. What did I wear? She's like, I don't remember. I'm like, no, you have to remember. This is going to fail. I'll come to church on Sunday, and I'll wear the thing I wore last week, and everyone will hate me. No, I'm just kidding. Aren't we silly? Clothe yourself with mercy. Amen. How many need some mercy? Yeah, yeah. Clothe yourself with kindness. How many need some kindness? Uh, How many need love? Yeah. Boy, doesn't the spirit of unity really work right? Mm-hmm. And it says to forgive others because God has forgiven you. Amen. So this isn't culturally cool because in the world, the world's very cutthroat. And the culture is very cutthroat. And the minute you don't do something cool or you don't talk the way or use the same words as the culture and go with the cultural norms and flows, then you're out. It's really that simple. So if you're in spaces and places and you feel uncomfortable, you say, you know what, this isn't a place for me to be culturally. I need to wear different kinds of clothing. If someone's coming at you and you say, well, I need to forgive that person, but they did me wrong. We need some clothing, don't we? We're wearing, we're wearing some different clothes than what Christ had intended for us. What is the clothing that's been a come, uh, what that's become in the American Christian faith? Maybe let's start with some clothing we choose to wear. And I say, I say we shed these things off. How about our political clout? Come on. We think that if we just have enough Christians or whatever influence politically, that somehow America will be great or fantastic or do awesome things or whatever it is. Folks... We've had Christians in office, out of office. You've had leaders there, not there, behind the scenes. I am going to tell you there's a whole lot of Christians in the political realm praying and doing great things that were there long before anybody knew about them. So is it our political clout that's going to make the church great? Can't be that. How about our wealth, the wealthiest nation in the world? You think God cares how wealthy we become? What we wear? What we drive? Our popularity or our fame? How about our drive, our need to succeed, right? Because how many of you have failed and you Again, I, I love what Rod's said there about the failing, and you just may, maybe you feel like you failed and the enemy's coming at you. How many of you really feel like your identity got really skewed up because you failed? And so now you're wearing a different identity. Maybe the identity you're wearing is one of shame, so you're now in one of those different colored bottles to hide all that tainted past and all of the stuff. You're really not dealing with it. Don't we all do this, by the way? Don't we all wear the clothes and get the good looks and all those kind of things? Don't we just do it for attention in the first place? You know, the kid dressing like a clown? He's doing it for attention. The adult dressing like a clown? He's doing it for attention. The health club craze, all of that. It's it's nuts. And we're doing it for praise, and we're doing it for attention. Let me tell you right now that you have the attention. Here's who you have the attention of, if you want attention. Here's what the church and all of us in the world have. Everyone today has the attention of the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth. You know what the Bible declares? He says that you and I are the apple of his eye. You have God's attention. You don't need anyone else's. Young woman, you don't need the attention of that guy over there. I don't care about you in the first place. Can not get an amen there. Amen. Young man, you don't need the attention of the women over there. So what? Amen. Take a stand for something. Yeah. Yes. You know, and in the Christian faith, we don't teach that anymore because we don't even have convictions anymore because all that's required for you and I now in the American faith in the Western faith is for you and I to do the fire insurance prayer and live our lives like hell. That's all that's required. God requires us to be a holy, separate, other people. By the way, wouldn't you say in 2019 it would be a good idea for the church? I'm not concerned with the world. I will always say that. We get so concerned with the world... Folks, the world will keep doing what it always has. Why do we get mad at the world? Why do we get mad at the world? They are doing their jobs. I think the problem should be then in the church. Maybe the church should start cultivating virtues again. As opposed to talking like the world and identifying the world, maybe we should start talking like believers. How about that? Webster's Dictionary defines virtues as this conformity to a standard of right. Okay. So now we're on to something. So now the Bible says this, that we are no longer to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But what the Bible declares is, I am supposed to conform to the image of God. As he transforms me, Steve's idea is not to be a greater version of Steve, as i said a hundred times, The idea is for Steve to become more like Christ. Not to be a better version of me. As believers, you start to transform. In other words, the Webster's Dictionary also says this. A particular moral excellence. What the Bible is, it's above every opinion of man. If we are to raise the Bible up, if you will, and say, God, I want to live by the virtues of the word of God. If I have to clothe myself with kindness and love and forgiveness and preferring people, then God, I have to check those things in my spirit and see if I'm wrong in that. And I also have to say, God, what virtues are you expressing in the Bible? And it's amazing to me how it's so hard for believers in church to kind of grapple with this because the immediate thing that they all go to is, well, this is just legalism. I have a personal relationship with God and he's taking care of me. But that's not the Bible. See, we're committed believers in the body of Christ. It isn't just you and God. It's the body of Christ and Paul called out all sorts of social issues that he was facing in the day. And so today, we have all sorts of social, just big stewpots of things that we're doing, and we, we just kind of choose and pick what we like about the gospel in this church, and we're ashamed of this part because that just seems so hateful, Pastor. just seems so raw to say that there's some standards. There's moral excellence! There's standards that we're supposed to reach after. My goal in life is not for me just to barely make it. My goal in life for me is to climb the mountain and reach victoriously to God. Amen. Amen. Right. Moral excellence. The transformation starts to take place as we learn this God-given identity. You know, here's the crazy thing. Remember the Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So on the outside, they looked like the picture of moral excellence, didn't they? But on the inside, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. So the spirit of Christ was not in them. They were doing a form of godliness, but they were denying the power thereof. My idea is for us to see inside the ketchup bottle, turn to someone and say, are you that ketchup bottle? That we're the ketchup bottle... And that we no longer wear our clothes and go through life like a costume. Galatians 3.27 says this, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you were baptized, that symbolically said, The old me is dead, I am coming to new life, I am putting on Christ. Here's the crazy thing. Every day you and I have to make a choice to put Christ on. It's not osmosis. I don't automatically wake up in the morning and go, I'm a great person today. I have to develop those things and I have to put those things on. How many of you did some pretty stupid things in the last few weeks in your life here? Okay, good. We have to put those things on, don't we? Paul said, man, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. What this... This this wrestling match occurs for us as we are clothed and find our identity in Christ. Realize today that Christ has bestowed on you. It's one of my favorite things. He's bestowed on you and me the robe of righteousness. Isn't that neat? So right now today, the clothing that we are wearing is a special robe. It's a robe of righteousness. Thomas Brooks, the famous Puritan writer, he said this. God beholds his people in the face of his son and sees nothing amiss in them. He sees the sinner without a spot or wrinkle. Christ makes us comely through his beauty. The Father honors us, delights in us, is well pleased with us, extends his love and favor to us, esteems us, and gives us free access to himself in Christ. We are covered and hid under the precious robe of Christ's righteousness. You today, if you are a believer in Christ, you are holy because He is holy. You're righteous because He is righteous. There is nothing you can do to earn it or gain it or do anything else in your life. But it's beautiful when God sees you, He sees you through the eyes of His Son, Jesus. So when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, behold, all things become new for your life, you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you are free. Whomever the Son sets free is... For the church, by the way, we exist within a network of believers. Mark Sayers writes, the resurrected Christ shows us what it is to be fully human. He points us away from our falsely constructed public selves and beckons us towards our souls and our true selves. He goes on to write that in the early 1980s, sociologist Robert Bella and his associated notes noted a shift in how Americans saw themselves. No longer do they talk much of souls as their forebears had for centuries. Instead, people use the word self to describe themselves. If we are to regain a genuine sense of identity in a culture that has reduced life to acting, we must rediscover what it's like to cultivate our souls. Isn't life just about acting anymore? Isn't that what social media is? It's acting. It's putting on the latest, coolest thing there, and creating an image for everyone to see about yourself not about seeing the pictures of the really messy house those can't go up there because we need to see the perfect house it's funny I was reading this success book and these people trying to create images and everything and these women were all talking and it was by Patrick Lencioni He's a big business model leader and he came in there and he was teaching about how family needs to come first to get in these cultures and he said you know these people would come into their houses and they're like oh this house is so perfect it's amazing and then the one little secret opened it all up and this lady talked to my neighbor, and she goes, you haven't seen one of the rooms yet in the back of the house. <laughs> <laughs> See, we project an image because it gives us that sense of security, doesn't it? We're all together. We're put together. We create an act. We put things together. And now today in the church we need to know what it means to cultivate our souls. Eugene Peterson writes in our current culture, Soul has given way to self as the term of choice to designate who we are and what we are. Self is the soul minus God. Self is what is left of soul with all the transcendence and intimacy squeezed out. The self with little or no reference to God, transcendence, or others, intimacy, setting the two words side by side triggers a realization. That a fundamental aspect of our identity is under assault every day. We live in a culture that has replaced the soul with self. Self Self-improvement. Self-care. Again, the whole idea of yoga is for us to create some kind of self-centering universe for ourselves. Do you realize what that really has its roots in? It's a New Age theology of you making yourself as God. It's really that simple. In fact, true biblical meditation is not getting your eyes more inwardly focused. It's getting your eyes focused on God. That's true meditation. So I kind of chuckle, and I get what Apple's doing, but every once in a while during the day, Apple will give me a suggestion on my phone that says breathe for a minute. I've been breathing all day. So, if I'm going to take apples to you, and the, and the church is this stupid. If I'm going to take apples to you, yeah, Steve, bring it in, bring it out. The goodness, bring in the goodness, bring in the goodness. Do you realize you know where that dumb goodness came from? Exactly. Right. Do you know where the tree came from? Do you know where the birds and the flowers and the heat that you're feeling off the sun, it didn't come from some universal thing. It came from God! Amen. The transcendence, the soul care, We do need soul care in the church. But when we don't pick up our Bible but once a year, there's no soul care. And when we don't pray and ask God for help, do you know what? together, folks, kids. If you need wisdom, ask for it. God, I need wisdom today in this decision. I was praying in the shower the other day. I told you, the shower is where God's at with me, man. Lord, I need help. I need you to figure out an answer to something going on. And boom, right there. God, God just wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. It's not that we have to go claw and grab God. They say no, He's talking. He's willing. He is close. As the mention of His name, our word declares. We have made religion and the veneer of it too difficult, and we should be the clear bottle, seeing the goodness of God coming up. God spoke to me this week. Amen. He spoke to me. He speaks to you. Amen. And see, you don't pick up on it because we been crowding God out in the transcendence and the bigness and we have focused on ourself me God must increase and Steve must decrease that's soul care not self care self care is not you improving and making your situation more quiet and peaceful no no you into a war not much peace in a war is there he might send you into the greatest battle of your life and you will not get self care there but you will get soul care there because God is in foxholes yes he is you're wanting peace you're wanting clarity and you're wanting focus and sometimes things get more unfocused but yet God becomes more clear how many have been through some of the craziest time of your life, and in those times, you say, man, God was there. Go ahead and raise your hand. Honestly, God was there. You defined in that moment, you know, I've heard it said before, everybody wants to see miracles, but nobody wants to be a candidate for one. We love miracles, oh God, but bad stuff comes our way. Oh, no, no. Haven't we become more like the world? What's in it for me? By the way, when you are focused on yourself, here's what happens. If you put your phone down for a moment, you might get this. Not here, but in life. If you put your phone down with your latest cool thing that you're going to tell everyone about. When you're focused on yourself, you can't take any special interest in the lives of those around you. Do you know what they've surveyed kids and you know what the majority of kids have said about their parents? They just wish they would put their phones down. Philippians 2.3, you don't have to turn there, but it said count others more significant than yourself. That's that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Sam Alberry writes, It takes hard work not to be selfish, isn't it? How many know it's hard work not to be selfish? I want my ice cream now. It takes hard work not to be selfish to value others' needs above our own and to put the rest of the congregation before ourselves. You think about that for a moment as you start to lift God up and lift this congregation up. Do you know you can individually start to lift this church up to new levels by the people you decide to pour into? That if you would just decide to for a moment, maybe extra calendar out of your me time and get into some those people time. Maybe for a moment you would see something happen outside yourself that you can't explain because you got involved in someone else's life. When is God going to do something, Steve? When God's going to move? Revival is happening right now. I was in a pool of tears today because God is here. Amen. That's right. And people around here are filled with the Spirit of Christ that need you. Amen. Need your input, need your prayers, need your money, need your time, need your space. Amen. That's right. But if life is all about me and my self, care instead of soul care the whole idea in the kingdom of God is for Steve to be filled so much that I become a blessing to others Amen. Right. how do you get filled? start to minister Amen. start to bless people Amen. and you know what here's the crazy thing and this is the hard part with our American gospel in order to minister to people you kind of have to be around people can't happen on the internet. It doesn't happen with a click of the button. It happens because you grab someone and you've decided, I'm going to be around that person. Second Kings chapter 2, let's see how this works when we start to get involved. And this is a dual prong idea. This is Elijah and Elisha. Some of us have things that we need to pick up. And maybe you've already picked them up, but you shelved them and you haven't used them. Now it's time to use them. So Elijah gets taken to heaven and Elijah, there's a group of prophets. And Elisha is following behind Elijah. He knows his time is short and God's going to be taking him. But Elijah is following his master. And he's saying, he's kind of walking in the dust of his footsteps, so to speak, like what Jesus' and the disciples did. They wanted to be around him. And this Elisha is walking around Elijah trying to get what he has. Not in a selfish way, but so that he can be used of God in the power that he has. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here. For the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. I love this and the persistence of Elisha. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord's going to take your master away from you today? Don't you love those folks? Of course I know, Elisha answered, But be quiet about it. I think the translation was, Shut up! Because that's what I would say. And then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elijah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him. Here we go, here's the three stooges again. Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? I didn't hear. Of course I know Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. And then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance. And Elisha and Elijah stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together, struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. And when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Talk about a selfish prayer, right? But it's not. Because God had a plan and he realized that he wanted to grow. Give me a double portion of what you have. Folks, I want my children to be twice the Christian that I ever was. I want my children to do more for the kingdom than I could ever dream of. And God is looking for selfish prayers, if you want to call it, whatever you want to say. Say, God use me. Amen. So Elisha prays this, and he's waiting to pick up the cloak. God takes Elijah away, and he said, "Listen, that's a big prayer that you're asking. If you see me when I leave, know that God has blessed that prayer and is going to do it for you." Finds the cloak, and he picks it up. Folks, I want to tell you today to pick up the cloak of God has for you. I think we've been trying to pick all the things up that the world has to offer, don't you? I think we've been so busy trying to make life work and to be cool and to fit in here and do all sorts of things that the world's doing that we have forgotten that the kingdom of God has a cloak for you to pick up, that you need to be a mighty woman and a man of God here today, no matter the age. To pick the cloak up. Mark Sayers writes, I often meet believers who seem passionate and open about their faith, but also have a great deal of insecurity about their faith that makes them feel the need to communicate to the world that they are just as hip and cool as the rest of the culture. The cry of the day is, I just want the world to know that you can be a Christian and be cool too. Behind this inane statement is the mistaken belief that millions of non-Christians are waiting for Christianity to get hip enough and then they will convert. I witness all kinds of lengths to which believers go to convince some unseen audiences of non-believers that they are just like everyone else. It is as if the secular public is so traumatized by past public impressions of Christians that many Christians have generated a deep insecurity about the link between their faith and their public selves. No one wants to be the term I hear so often when ministering with young adults, a Christian dork. We have come to believe that taking on the public self of holiness, becoming more like God, and taking seriously our God-given identity are all kind of a social suicide. And that's where we are in the church right now today. We want to say to the world, and I can tell this by how ministry is driven now and how it's focused, is we are just as cool as you. That we fit in. Folks, I want to tell you right now today, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you are truly identifying with God, you will never fit in. And you're going to have to make this choice right now. When you leave here today, you say, Am I going to try to figure out how to be more hip and more cool and fit into the culture? Or is God trying to bring me up above the culture to live according to His purpose?" The greatest influencers of my faith were not cool men and women. They were people white hot on fire for Jesus Christ. Amen. How do you identify today? I love the example. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. I love the example, and it's a powerful example, of two or three young men, and you know the story, Shadrach, And the culture warriors of that day said, hey everyone, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make this big gold thing. All I need you to do is just bow. Just bow. At the appointed time when the alarm is sounded, everyone is bound by law to bow their knee to the king. And these three young men, and I love the conviction of self that they had. The confidence, not a self-confidence, but a God-confidence. In Daniel three sixteen and 18, they said, they replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your God's Or worship the gold statue that you have set up? You think about the gods of our culture right now, and are you bowing your knee to them? In any way, because young person, old person alike today, you can say, I don't have to bow to that. I have a choice. God has given each man, woman, and child in this place a free choice. You can choose today the right choice. And you can choose today to say, I'm going to follow God all the days of our lives. Isn't it beautiful to see little Chase up here, that little man? can yeah. yeah. be a swat. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah. I hope I don't have to have you show up at my house. I'll be scared. <laughs> I'll be swat. Yeah. Yeah. And these young men stood up and said, Oh, King, if he saves us, he is more than capable of saving us, but even if He doesn't, we would never bow our knee for a second to you or that gold. We need some Christians like that today. Not these syrupy sweet people who have no conviction. You bring an issue to them and they can't even answer on points. They can't even reference scriptures. They don't want to offend nobody. Have no conviction, no knowledge about it. I was reading an article this week These two men who were homosexuals got converted in their faith to Christ. They were in Los Angeles. It was actually a fashion mogul. And I was reading the article this week, and they were talking to him, and he said, yeah, how did you come to Christ? And he said, it was interesting. We were in Los Angeles at a cafe, and we saw a group of people reading their Bibles. He said, our eyes got big because in the Los Angeles area, people don't carry Bibles around. We asked them. We had a discussion with them. And he said, I love their answer. Now, this is coming from an ex-homosexual. He said, I love their answer. I asked them, is homosexuality a sin? And they said, yes, it is. And they provided scripture for them. And you know how they came to the saving knowledge of Christ? Do you know what attracted them to him? Their honesty and their conviction in the Bible that they have. See, we in the faith have ripped the Bible apart to shreds And because we want to be culturally relevant and we want to be normal, we think that anything in here that offends anyone will detract them from God. Folks, let me tell you something. When God speaks His truth and when God speaks His word, it is God who changes the hearts of man. It is God who leads people to repentance. It's not even me. It's not even you. Will you trust and will you elevate the Spirit of Christ above the culture so that you stop bending your knee to stuff? Right. And we as believers walking around going, I don't know what to do. And these three men said, We will not bow, we will stand on king. Amen. So today, maybe you say, Man, I want to be like that Heinz 57 Ketchup. You want clarity. You don't want to be tainted anymore. You don't want to be wearing cover-ups and costumes and try to find your identification in what you've tried. And you want to say, I want to be truly someone who's identified with Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. You've had a form of religion in your life, but you don't have a relationship, a knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, now is the time for me. Jesus has a plan for your life. And Jesus wants to enter into your life and make your heart His home. Not a portion of your heart, not sections of it, not certain days of the week, but all of it. If that's you today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, This is me. This is for me right now. I want Jesus in my life as my Savior and Lord. Today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Now comes the next part for the believer who has been lost in their identity and been covering up and maybe having switching out the bottles to make things look better than what they are and you're kind of wearing different clothes for this and being this way here and being this way there. And you're not walking around with a sense of pride, if you will, in your Christian faith and the heritage that God has blessed you with. Trying to fit in. Today, God is calling you out and separating you. You're chosen. And you have the privilege and the honor to carry the name above every name into a culture who may not accept you but we will understand that you have clarity and you have focus in your life. Today, if that's you and you say, man, I want to have that clear bottle in my life again so that I can show forth the praises of God and what He's doing in me. I am putting these costumes away. I'm flushing them away. My images that I'm creating in social media, the image that I'm trying to portray to the people at work around me, Whatever it may be, this is now the new image that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus today. You say, I want to do that right now. As a believer, I'm returning to that call and that chosen identity. Why don't you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank 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 you. you. God loves a humble and a contrite heart. Today, Shall we all pray this together with a boldness? Maybe you lift your head up a little bit from where your help comes from. And you don't cower in shame or guilt. You understand that God has chosen you. Why don't we pray this together? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. Thank, you thank you for giving me a new identity. Forgive me, identity. Forgive me Forgive for covering that up, for putting my own clothing in my, my own sense about how it should be. It should be. I, trust you, I trust You and I thank You, God, I thank you, God that, that I am, I am the temple of the, Spirit, temple of the Holy Spirit, that I am a priest, I am a priest that I am, chosen, I am, that I am chosen, chosen, that I have been plucked out, been plucked for, out a for a special purpose. purpose. Thank, you, God, thank You, God, that and You're, you're going to use me. Use and that when people see me, me They may not see a perfect person. But they will see someone who is running after you. I thank you, God, for reviving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a beautiful thing, right? Those clear bottles are there to be shown off. Don't go back into that area of life where you kind of wear things and do things like a little costume and you're this person here and this person there. It's okay to be a not-cool Christian. But don't wear bell bottoms. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you guys so much and have a wonderful day. Oh my gosh, yes. So two things. We're going to have some, a party, party, party with Anita and uh, lots of hugs and lots of cake. You better eat all the cake here. And uh, the other thing that we're going to do after the party is we're going to pass out a few flyers. If you can join us I printed out like 2,500 flower flyers. No, we, we've got like uh, 200 flyers. If somebody wants to grab and do like 10 houses, do a block, whatever it is. It's really easy. It takes about 45 minutes, and we're done. So after that, if you guys want to join us, we'd love to have as many Swift and young feet as possible out there. We love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day.